Welcome back to Dear Adam Silver. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I am your host. Today's episode has been a while in the making. When Kobe Bryant died, I felt the immediate need to respond some way on the podcast. In the days following, I realized that this platform is not meant for hot takes or quick responses. I felt during those first few weeks it was important for me to read and listen to as much about Kobe Bryant and this tragedy as I could. I am including some of the most important essays I have read about this and podcasts I have listened to in the show notes. So for today's show, I spoke with both Brian Tran and Isaac Eager separately. Brian was born and raised in LA. He's a fiction writer and longtime Lakers and Kobe fan that brings a real sense of understanding to what Kobe meant to LA and to him personally. Isaac is a writer and dedicated pickup basketball player who has critical thoughts to share about Kobe on and off the court, but also appreciated his presence in basketball and the noticeable space that is now left behind. Before beginning the podcast, I just want to read out the names of all the people who died in the helicopter crash on January 26th and acknowledge the pain that is ongoing for their families and loved ones. Kobe Bryant... Gianna Bryant, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, Ara Zobayan, Christina Mauser, John Altobelli, Carrie Altobelli, Alyssa Altobelli. Today's episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's. Bookman specializes in entertainment exchange and is a cultural center point in Tucson, Phoenix, Mesa, and Flagstaff. Not only can you find your favorite book, you can get your guitar repaired, pick up a record, and even attend a ukulele jam session or participate in a Super Smash Bros. tournament or join the Cookbook Club. Seriously, Bookman's has it all. Visit bookmans.com and click on events for more information. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. And now for my interview with Brian Tran. So Brian, welcome back to Dear Adam Silver. Um, When we recorded our last episode, in December, I never thought you'd be coming on again so soon. Um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Brian and I met at Paul Art Space in Florissant, Missouri. And, yep, we had uh, we bonded over the basketball court there, the half court, where Brian, I felt, uh, was iconic among the three people living at the house for shooting <laughs> uh, Kobe-like fadeaway shots. Um, daily, many of them, the baseline jumpers, um, saying Kobe kicking his legs out. And this is how we became friends. Uh, One of the one of the reasons we became friends. This was also leading up to within the month that we stayed there, Brian dunking, which was also very exciting. So um, I, uh, I I should point out, of course, (laughs) that it wasn't it wasn't regulation. It was maybe several feet below. Not several. (laughs) um, Maybe a couple at the most. Um, So also, Brian, you're from Los Angeles, longtime Lakers fan. Uh, Kobe has been sort of the 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 Laker that you um, grew up with, in a sense, as a teen and young adult. And he's a contemporary. contemporary. I mean, you, you, you know that I'm an old man. And, oh yeah, no, he's, he's I would never say, so, never imply such a thing. <laughs> um, no, of course, yes, exactly, contemporary. So y- there was like some sort of kinship you felt, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to to give you some space and have you on the pod to discuss 
this experience of of sort of losing Kobe Bryant. I mean, the world, um, as well. You know, this tragedy of of this plane crash where nine people altogether died, and but what this sort of space uh, feels like to you that's left behind. Yeah, and and also you and I are on your very first podcast um, at Polar Art Space. We we talked about Kobe. We did. Um, and much of that was uh, just kind of my relationship with him um, and how, yeah, it did feel like he was a contemporary where he wasn't necessarily, I didn't, I didn't feel like he was the greatest basketball player. He, I didn't necessarily feel that he was even perhaps, um, I don't know, the, the conversation at the time was perhaps even greatest Laker or anything like that. What I kept on stressing was that he was just sort of the player that I obsessed about the most because I was from Los Angeles and he, um, he just looms so large in, um, in the city and, and obviously in Lakerland. So yeah, we, I, I think we aired um, much of you know, my personal relationship to him uh, in that, in that first pod. Um, so Right. I mean, it's uh, this happened. Um, it's we're recording now more than a week um, uh, away from from the incident itself. Um, you, uh, I think, lovingly checked in with me that day. Uh, we spoke on the phone. Um, I found myself not being able to finish several sentences uh, without you know, uh, completely choking up. It was, um, and so we're, it's no longer obviously as raw, um, uh, but it's, it's still, you know, it, it, it's still really tragic. Um, um, but the other thing is, is I'm just trying to wrap my head around just how insane this is. Like I've never seen an industry react to a death like this before Mm -hmm. and i've never really seen a city uh react in the way that it has before um i'm in st louis now Uh, it 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 felt weird not to be in los angeles although i was obviously in communication with with so many of the people that i grew up with and and who i know are, are laker fans and um family members who are um experiencing um much of what what I experienced and Mm -hmm. you know it is really not it sounds insane to say especially to somebody who is looking uh who's who's on the outside of this um but it really does the only way I can understand something like this um is that it really is mourning like I don't think that's overstating it it really is a kind of grief like the stages and and the ways that we're dealing with this um feel very akin to you know my experiences of say losing a loved one right where there's a sense of of um you know i remember last week you know days after it happened um that sense of uh still being kind of paralyzed about it that sense of of um being able to be like just sort of easily triggered into thinking about um, the incident itself, uh, there, there was that sense of um, also not wanting to move on. Um, you know, like, like one of my early reactions to it was like, oh, cancel the season. Like, how is how is any, anything else after this? Um, uh, how, how could we possibly move on? Mm-hmm. And so all of those things just just um, felt very much rooted in the familiar familiarity of 
um, say lo losing a loved one. And it seems ridiculous to say because I didn't know him personally. Well, I for sure I saw him live and, um, uh, but like, it's, it's one of those things where um, celebrity deaths sure are weird. I think I'm not the first person to say that um, uh, you shouldn't think of, you know, the one-to-one -one relationship of, of um, uh, grieving over somebody you never knew um, and just looking at it like that. But that it's, it, it also just, I think, mingles with dormant uh grief and past experiences um that gets uh, kicked up again um i think it's it's just weird and, and sort of like this mysterious process um but it's still been just absolutely insane to to witness this uh even from afar sure um like you know the clips of of anchors um like sports anchors like crying on camera um and then the sort of conversation around that and going like but this is insane like you're like we're watching professionals just break down and cry on camera um and i just i just don't think i've ever seen anything quite like this um uh in terms of the city itself as as well as just the broader industry um yeah i i you know it feels it feels different and more pronounced in a way um, than other celebrity deaths, and not just because I had a personal connection with them. Um, and I, I had a personal connection with them, and but you, you didn't necessarily. But d does it feel kind of as as strange to you? Totally. I mean, I think that I'm not as connected to sort of other forms of pop culture as I am to sports. So this idea mm -hmm. of and also basketball being the sport that really uh, does it for me. It's like there's this hole or space now, um, in a sense. I think that one thing that I definitely agree with you on is how overwhelming it was to see people reacting to it. So there's my own reaction that I'm experiencing, and there's also, because of Twitter, the ability mm -hmm. to see how other people are handling it. And that was this like second sort of wave of of deep sadness that I felt towards the people I was seeing struggling. Mm -hmm. um, Doc Rivers, mm -hmm. uh, Devin Booker, um, yeah. to name just a couple, how that that is being handled. I mean, Jerry West, Shaq, um, yeah. these sort of mon monumental figures in basketball history, uh, showing a lot of vulnerability and and deep sadness so I think that that was this that was this whole other experience that I had never had before of watching people losing it and that yeah. made me very I mean I I didn't cry when I I mean not because I it didn't make me sad but that wasn't the reaction when I first found out but I did cry mm -hmm. watching other people cry that's what made me mm -hmm. sad and mm -hmm. I don't think that 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 would not have happened, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, yeah, maybe it would have happened 10 years ago, but it wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's it's possible that this could have happened not that long ago and it wouldn't have been the same experience. Right. right. Um, there's also obviously something sort of unique about this tragedy and 
that uh, there were other people involved. There's um, uh, his daughter, Gigi. Um, I, I just listened to, uh, on your recommendation, um, a podcast where he was a guest on Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson's uh, podcast. What is mm-hmm. the name of that one again? All, all the Smoke, Bring the Smoke, All the Smoke. All the, all the Smoke. Um, <laughs> Uh, where we'd love to be he, a guest sometime, guys. <laughs> Just saying. Um, he was he was a recent guest, and um, and they asked him, "Have you been following the NBA?" Um, and um, he said, uh, the, for a while, um, he hadn't really been following it, but it was his daughter that got him back into it. Um, uh, Gigi, who was who was on the helicopter as well, because uh, she. Um, has been just completely blossoming uh, into her own as a basketball player. Um, and we've seen other, uh, other players as well sort of comment on this and, and, and identify sort of the same moves, uh, clearly the same DNA that, that Kobe had um, uh, just in terms of, of body movement and grace uh, and, and uh and how she got him sort of back into it um and so all of those things just just um uh many parents have spoken on this as well it's just just the um um the amplified grief um uh of of the death the the sort of shock of of um of how it happened um is is certainly a, a part of this as well Yes, and I think that that speaks to this idea or this, yeah, this thought that his death is not about his legacy necessarily. His death is much more about this sort of violent um, end to many people's lives and Mm -hmm. the sort of emptiness that now exists in those families' uh, everyday life and for their futures. And mm-hmm. I think that that is something like the for me in some way like those two things need to be dealt with separately um, because of how many other people are tied to this right. this end you know this explosion this crash that just was um, yeah I mean it's just I think that that's the other thing is that there's so much shock involved with all of this it's so much like how why what are you saying like no one is believing it I think mm-hmm. that's the other thing that is just um, not something that I've experienced for how many people didn't understand what had happened because they didn't think it was possible. They didn't believe it. And um, just also, it's just crazy thinking about, I just had had heard the story of the Lakers finding out that it had happened while they were flying back from Philadelphia and that they're still in the air um, for three more hours after they learned this news and the the shock of it all is is violent in a sense yeah well you had mentioned that um um that uh basketball is sort of your your primary source of entertainment um yes more more often than not just six out of seven (laughs) days of the week (laughs) right yeah and obviously um as as we've talked about on previous episodes like um, you know uh write fiction i i've um, written criticism and and have uh from la and so uh worked some in the movie industry as well and and, uh avid consumer of uh various forms of art and it's it's um, one thing that has been sort of clarifying about this particular sort of celebrity death because I've 
you know, certainly connected to um, artists who have um, who have died unexpectedly before. You know, I was a huge fan. Uh, I am a huge fan of Prince, um, mm. and obviously that was shocking. But again, this feels outsized in a way that is hard to um, comprehend entirely. And one way I'm maybe kind of making sense of it um, is that, I mean, just the way we experience sports um, is so individual and to sports watching versus, I don't know, consuming other forms of media or entertainment. Um, I think, um, you know, like I don't necessarily, well, I mean, so take movies, for example, um, you're kind of entering into a different dimension when you're getting into a movie, right? Like when you, uh, watch something in a theater, obviously the lights go down, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you want to be enveloped. The, the experience is, uh, to envelop you into, um, the movie itself. It is a kind of escape. And that's been, um, that description has been applied to other art forms as well. You know, dive into a novel. It's a kind of escape. You sort of forget uh, a sense of time and you're so wrapped up in that story. Um, and with sports, it's just kind of a different thing because it is live and can't be replicated. Whereas you can read a novel again, you can watch the same movie over again. Um, and like, I don't, aside from a few uh, examples here and there, even my favorite movies, let's say, like, I don't remember my, the time and place in which I watched. That yes, movie. yes, yes. Right. Like, I don't remember necessarily who I was with. But if you were to recount, like, you know, and I'm sure you can do it as well with really sort of important games um, and, and memorable games. I remember the room I was in. I remember, even if I was alone, who I was texting mm-hmm. during that game. Um, because the experience is live, it feels like another person on the other end. And in this particular case, that other person on the other end was was Kobe. Um, you were experiencing it with him, even if you were um, just a consumer, just a viewer. Um, whereas that's not the case, um, let's say, reading a novel. Like the, the writer wrote that uh, in some cases years ago, and you're just reading it whenever you're going to read it. In, mm-hmm. in a movie, um, the, the sense of time, that sense of, uh, you can be communing with that artist, um, but that sense of a live person on the other end of, of it um is not a part of the experience. And I think that's that's one of the things that's really particular about sports viewing and, and why, yes, in many ways we can compare it to other art forms um, as you've been doing over the course of, of your podcast. Well, who, but, who's to say? <laughs> but, but, uh, but the thing that is kind of so local and unique to that experience is, is uh, to, to just sports in general. Um, uh, is that experience of of it being live and how critical that is and and people talk about um, I mean it's the the cliche of like you know the the eighty six year old um, Cubs fan who finally uh, got to see the Cubs like win the World Series or something like as as if um, championships um, uh, like rightfully should be included 
in a person's like looking back at their life in a, in in a, in a person's highlight of their life, right? And and that's insane, but that happens, right? Like you look back at your life and you're like, oh my god, when the Lakers won it in 2010, um, or when the Dodgers won it in '88 or whatever. Um, like those things you like, it, that's not unheard of for people. And I'm mentioning my examples, but for people all across the, the, uh, the, the sports world um, to say, Hey, remember when, when that team won, when our team won, like they cement themselves into our memories, into our biographies um, as lived experiences, whereas other art forms, um, they feel like you're escaping your experience in a way. Um, obviously, we can think of exceptions to this, and 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 you know, I don't know. You can think of like, <laughs> you know, some people tie certain like albums to like breakups, but but something about the experience of watching. And and then I think the other thing is um, Kobe played for for twenty years, um, and so couple that with. The, the everything I said about you know um, having an experience with somebody, um, you know, to to protract that into that long of a time, um, that many hours watching a particular team or a particular person um, does feel like a loss of a part of yourself mm-hmm. because you've experienced you've lived so much of your life even if you were the one just like at home staring at a scream yelling at it or just you know internally rooting for um for uh the the player um it's still uh, you living a, a your life and that still works its way into the experience of, of life and and those things are so memorable totally i mean i think what you're saying is so accurate and it it really gets at why I find watching basketball to be this very active experience rather than a passive experience for me because I feel like I'm connecting mm-hmm. to people at the arena, the broadcasters, the players. And if that if that is just made up in my head, then that's also fine too because it's a fulfilling experience for me mm-hmm. uh, more yeah. so than watching other things. Um, right. The other thing is that with basketball, I mean, of course now we can watch pretty much many games whenever we want to that are recorded but with basketball it's like you turn off the game and you're the game's still going on whereas when you turn off the movie the movie's not happening still Mm -hmm. you know so I I really like the idea that the you know the the watching a game on a tv is like this window into this other space that makes me feel connected to people that I'm not actually with yeah and you know this this idea of simultaneity um connecting people everyone's experiencing it at the same time so even though i remember who is in the room or who i'm texting who i'm sort of experiencing um a particular game with in in my uh orbit um i also know that like an entire not obviously not literally an entire city um but a city is also sort of glued to their sets, you know, um, and watching something. Uh, Los Angeles is famous for its its um, traffic. Um, and I remember certain, you know, basketball series where like, um, where it, it, when the Lakers are, are, are in the playoffs where like traffic is noticeably um, lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just that sense of, of um, 
everybody is experiencing it as well. Like that, that sense of electricity. Um, I think it's been a while for the Lakers, although uh, obviously they're in a good position now. But really, um, but, <laughs> but but I think most recently, like the um, the recent um, Dodger runs to uh, the World Series. Um, yes. Yeah, like I just the, when when it gets close and and it's in and it's world series time like there's something about like just going to the supermarket and you kind of sense it it might, it might be all in my head but you 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 sense a, a kind of um one track mindedness uh uh sort of like being present um in in the space um yes. and my, my friends um wrote a really nice piece for um for essence um lawrence ross uh after kobe died and you know he long time um los angeles native and, and he sort of talked about well this is this is a city that um in many ways is about contested property is about gentrification is about um you know many divides its fault lines are obvious but um you know kobe is some somebody who like you know, unites the city um, to sound kind of cheesy, but like, but but clearly, sort of transcends whatever those fault lines are. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it, it felt weird not to be in Los Angeles, and so all of, uh, much of this is secondhand. But um, just just uh, the sense of of mourning, kind of yes. collective mourning, um, uh, is I can just imagine being palpable um much more so than whatever palpable sense i was <laughs> i might have been detecting when when say like the the dodgers are in the playoffs or something um but yeah yes i think that actually i'm i really wish there was more collective mourning i mean i think maybe not to this extreme and there's there's no way to have collective mourning all the time because it's it's rare that so many people are invested in this life in in the same way but I just there's something about seeing the way that places are processing their grief through sort of gathering together bringing objects whatever it is or painting murals or the you know the buses in LA all saying R.I.P. Kobe um, just different ways that it's out in the public sphere which like mourning is something that's usually done in private I really like I mean And Twitter is also not, you know, a great space for bearing your soul. (laughs) So I think that it is a healthy iteration of mourning someone you don't know is doing in public with other people that didn't know that person either. And I really, um, I really just think that, that it's, it's a good thing. So I also want to talk about this ongoing discussion and something, of course, that came up right away when I was thinking about um, how the sort of public conversation was going to be, uh, was that, you know, Kobe Bryant raped a woman um, mm-hmm. and it was settled out of court. I mean, she she pressed charges and then uh, it was settled out of court and, and, and she got some sort of settlement. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've just been taking in so much different information. Of course, there's the sort of standard, um, 
glorifying, eulogizing Kobe Bryant in, in some way uh, as a hero, of course, um, to the city of Los Angeles, for the Lakers, uh, to the world in some ways, all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also uh, people who are being very outspoken about wanting to remind people that he raped someone, or, uh, mm-hmm. that he raped a woman, which, uh, and, and for me, it's like, we, I want to, I want to take both these things at the same time, uh, rather than letting one or the other define him completely. Um, and I had read quite a good article from InStyle called What is the Right Way to Memorialize Someone? This is by Laura Norkin, and there's this wonderful line in it. It is possible to make space for all of these truths without appointing oneself judge and jury on the posthumous sentence he must now serve. And I think that that's sort of getting at this idea that I was talking about a little bit earlier with talking about his death, which felt very shocking, violent, upsetting, and of course is attached to the deaths of eight other people, versus talking about his legacy. And I think it's it's important to talk about those things all together, but for me it's like the the death, even though he did this horrible thing, terrible thing, his death is still a part of a tragedy. It was all such a shock sort of that Sunday. And I also saw those contributions uh, to the conversation as well. Um, You know, some of them angry. um, Some of them, I I think, taking the tone of gleeful, I I don't want to necessarily assume that they were actually gleeful over his death, but taking the the tone of it, um, essentially sort of saying, I don't know, some, something to, to the effect of like, you know, uh, well, another rapist just died. Um, so yay, or something like that, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, I felt that those were important to, I think, acknowledge. Um, um, I, a, a, a quote that, that resonates with um, the one that you just read. Um, this is Zito who writes for, um, SB Nation. Um, and this gets at, at some of the frustration of some of his eulogies as well, which just sort of reduce um, the uh, r- reduce the, the, the stain on, on his legacy as just kind of like a footnote, um, where they just sort of like mentioned it. Um, you mentioned like, oh, oh the Colorado business or, or incredibly vague about it. Um, right. But Zito... Um, mentioned, you know, if you're going to mention the rape case, don't just sprinkle it in there out of obligation. Using jargon like complicated is an easy way to glide past it. You can just write why someone who was so heroic to millions of, of people also represented rape culture at its fullest. Um, uh, this, there's a longer thread, but he goes on to say, every great thing Kobe did afterwards, his support for women's sports, his love for his children and the youth, his new adventure into other ventures was wonderful, but it's not up to fans to grant him a redemption for that for that rape case. Uh, redemption starts at the people you hurt. And I think that that uh, is a smart way to put it. And, and I think... Um, I think the the capacious and, and, and generous thing to do, um, perhaps even as we mourn, is to think of the 19-year-old woman who um, uh, who was the victim uh, in this um, 19-year-old, obviously at the time, um, and and so right, you know, keeping a thought for her because uh, 
I imagine this is distressing in its own way um, for her to experience um, uh, his death. Um, and in, in, in ways that I can't quite, like, how do you process that? How do you, how do you even imagine perhaps what she's going through, right? Um, yes, and it, I, I just going to jump in for a second because I'm not sure, I don't, I can't say what I think she's going through. And I think <clears> that that is a failure sometimes of the, the hot take or the takedown within a within a sort of digital environment where it's like, be this way because this this is what this person wants. Where we don't know, mm-hmm. and I think we we know that maybe it's good as a society to acknowledge awful things that people have done when we're also celebrating what they what the good things that they've done. I think we should do that, but I also think that like there's so much. This is what this person needs. Let's make sure you know I, I don't know I just it's so hard to say sorry continue yeah no I mean it's it's, 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 it's so I think it's it's just important to be able to hold both things um yes hold um, both things at the same time where it's it's yes you can just sort of celebrate somebody in grief for somebody who meant a lot to you um while also I think I think thinking of of her in this um if you're going to have sympathy towards the people affected by the death um you should also be extending sympathy um to her um who uh whose experience is so different uh, experience of this must be so different from um the rest of us um and i and i imagine it must be hard although i can't imagine how sort of complicated uh this this must be um for her um Another thing that uh, that I read, which which resonated with me, um, just just speaking to to what I just said, um, is um, the idea that if your support and admiration for for Kobe is just kind of strong enough, if you loved him enough, um, then you should be able to like hold criticism of him, mm-hmm. um, and and um, like like that shouldn't. Um, that shouldn't be able to to shake what he meant uh, to you. Um, and then I think the other thing, and I haven't really seen this even even from people who are um, uh, who are um, sort of voicing their their anger about somebody being celebrated, somebody who um, uh, has this on his record and um, and is being celebrated. Like, and and again, first, like I. I want to say that I like I see that anger, um, and and I want to like acknowledge that and 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 acknowledge the fact that in some cases the anger might be uh, because it is coming from a survivor themselves um, or that it is on behalf of survivors, um, and so um, the anger is, is is totally valid even if um, it's perhaps not in a in a kind of uh, form that might might be palatable um, or 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 I don't know uh, it, it, phrased in the way that I like. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on and sharing your thoughts, which, as always, are um, really well thought out and critical. So I appreciate it. Of course. Um, thanks for thanks for reaching out when it happened. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. You're the first um, person I thought of. Yeah. 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 It was just, you know, um, 
yeah, just 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 a full week of of oh wait, I'm crying again. A, a yeah. very strange experience. Yeah, but thank you. Of course. Um, thanks again, and yeah, we'll talk soon. I appreciate your thoughts as always. And now for my interview with Isaac Eager. This is what seems to happen to people in death. Um, is every, everyone's everyone's life becomes a hagiography. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 look over the uh, the blemishes in people's lives and their deaths, and I think that's very unfair to do. And I feel like that's been people have been talking about the dark side of Kobe or some of the the things that weren't fully um, reconciled in his life. Uh, the rape allegations being the main one. Um, and so I, I look at these celebrations somewhat cynically because I don't think that it's a full appreciation of someone's life. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that I've realized about that in the past couple of weeks or kind of gained some thought on is I wonder, I mean, like the NBA as a sort of business organization structure or whatever, they are not going to wreck, they're not going to talk about almost any negative aspect of any of the people that work there, it seems. Like, also mm-hmm. in life, a lot, like, not just in death, but also in life. And so I feel like that puts the responsibility on the media and the people who are reporting on the NBA to to recognize where, like, sort of what the NBA is not going to not going to do or take responsibility for. And I guess I I just I feel like as long as there's people in sports media and there's mainstream mainstream people in sports media talking about this and and making sure that it's they're not sort of glossing over it. I don't I guess I don't know if I mind if the NBA celebrates him as long as there's these other voices. I think that's fair. I I do wonder how in a celebration of Kobe Bryant, they would like put on a jumbotron something about his rape, alle- uh, his rape. I don't want to call it allegation because it's not an allegation; it is a fact. Sure. Um, I, I, I hate getting caught in that sort of careful legalese. Yes. Um, Kobe Bryant is a rapist. I mean, I, I think that that should be established. That's that's set in stone, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, as a a business as a corporate entity, you know, you can't really do that the same way that when a politician dies, um, even your lifelong rivals, I suppose, uh, appear at your funeral. Uh, I mean, when, uh, when John McCain died, uh, we erased a lot of the terrible things he had done and people put together these video montages of, uh, the maverick, you know, the, the, the character that he constructed carefully amongst corporate media um, and to say anything untowards, to say to, to be critical of anyone in death, uh, you get canceled for that. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to be I suppose you do have to be not in like a privileged position, but at a safe distance in order to fully appreciate someone's life. Right. And to hold every sort of thing about them and all these, uh, the word complicated is not a good word to use either because that's been sort of overplayed uh, within this particular situation. But all of these different things that they did, um, said, were a part of whatever, and, and some of them being worth celebrating and some of them 
uh, worth being critiqued. Like holding all of that together is is a much more valuable way of understanding someone and sort of what they contributed or didn't contribute. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think that I I'm I'm a sucker for for the the sort of emotionally laden memorial service and the singing and I mean just seeing like NBA players kind of holding each other and crying during that Mm -hmm. um the national anthem that first Lakers game um and that felt really that felt like a lot to me and yeah I just so I mean I I think it's really important to I've been thinking about this a lot since our since our first conversation but that he is a rapist and he's also a lot of other things and trying to reconcile Mm -hmm. all of that together at the same time and how I think about him and acknowledge what he did what he did that was good and bad uh yeah it's just and and I think that some some media personalities have done a good job at that I think Jamel Hill uh in her piece for the Atlantic did a, a good job about talking about the things where they the problems that she had with him and how mm-hmm. you know she either felt that he took responsibility for them or or did not and things like that and i just um that kind of gives me some feeling of okay so we are talking about this we're just not talking about it th- about this within the, a certain context so right. like, like the jumbotron for like you said well you know it's funny you bring up that jamel hill article i was reading that just before um this conversation and that Kobe was not sympathetic to Trayvon Martin because he sympathized with George Zimmerman because of his personal experience with what he called false allegations, uh, to me was quite revealing of how little he's actually changed. Like, you know, that's 10 years after the fact, and he's still in denial about what it was he did. Um, so I suppose before we get any further about Kobe and death, I think we should talk about Kobe and life and what he meant to us while he was playing. And so um, what was your what was your relationship to Kobe while he was uh, throughout his 20 year career, really? Sure. So, I mean, I think that I so this is another thing that's been coming up a lot is like Kobe as the person who wanted to be better than Michael Jordan or the next version of Michael Jordan. And as a very young, I was like eight years old when this was happening um, and dedicated Michael Jordan fan. I don't think when Kobe started, I was, I was sort of unsettled by the whole thing. Like I wasn't ready. And especially with Michael Jordan retiring, I I totally wasn't ready to just like fall in love with another player. I was still attached to, to Michael Jordan. And I didn't, you know, I couldn't get on board with this, like taking him down thing. Um, so, I mean, I, and I, I felt that he was very exciting. Um, I mean, he, even though he was a more, selfish player which I think that Michael Jordan was also a more selfish player early on in his career but Kobe mm-hmm. Kobe was very much like hero ball um and I mean I think that I I you know there was parts about his game that were sort of thrilling to me as a spectator but I don't think I was ever thinking about what you might consider as a basketball player what it might be like to play with him and be on his team um Mm -hmm. so he was just always kind of in the background for me as like someone with amazing highlights and as this yeah this kind of hero but also not I wasn't always considering the 
ins and outs of of being around that kind of energy um, every day and how that would affect sort of the team as a whole. Um, so I guess just like this, he's never been like top of my list as far as the players that I love the most, but he's always, I guess that's the other thing that's so crazy about his death. Like he's just always been there. I mean, since I was, you know, like 10 years old, he's just been a part of professional basketball um, in this mm-hmm. really pronounced way. Even, I mean, his retirement was the most pronounced retirement ever in the history of basketball. So, I mean, it's just really <laughs> yeah. all the way all the way through it just was he was always he always came up whether it was like a good thing or a bad thing he was just a part of and I mean I'm talking about like specifically within basketball he was just a part of the conversation and so I think that having him just not be in there is just that's what's kind of jarring right and I mean he's he he, he's entered uh our lexicon in a certain way when everyone does the whole balling up a wad of trash and Throwing it in the garbage can saying, Kobe. Yeah, I mean, I do that. I do that way too much, probably to an an annoying degree. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I couldn't stand Kobe. I despised Kobe. I don't like to say the word hate. I think hate's too strong. Sure. But um, he was my he was my antagonist. And I was I fell back in love with basketball in um, 2006 when Steve Nash and the Suns were you know doing their seven second or less offense yeah. and I watched that series against the Lakers um, three to one and I watched them beat Kobe right. um, and for me falling back in love with basketball um, after leaving it for uh, just a handful of years smoke pot and skateboard um both of which i was terrible at yes i also Um, just want to say that while you were smoking pot and skateboarding and not watching basketball i was drinking handles of vodka and not watching basketball so we we have some (laughs) shared time there of um of not following basketball as closely as as we might have had but we might have before or now (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad that uh basketball has brought us to uh a more sober lifestyle. <laughs> uh, Definitely. Yeah. So he represented to me everything that I disliked about the world, um, which which was um, the individual above all else, the triumph of the will, um, and just general selfishness. I remember when I was like first trying to be a, a, a sports writer. Uh, just out of college, I, I was trying to write this story about how Kobe Bryant and Ayn Rand were like the same person. Yikes! Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And and so I found his style of play uh, to be yeah, like I said, the the antithesis of of what I wanted in the world. And it wasn't until really his demise that I began to appreciate how important he was for this narrative. Um, he was the villain in my story. Um, and every basketball game is a story, right? You know, there, there has to be some conflict or else, like, what's the point? You know, what, what do you care about? And so his, his wins to me were an affront to my utopia and his loot, his losses you know, were this sort of confirmation of my worldview. 
Um, and when he disappeared, which honestly was happened even before his retirement, he he stopped being relevant. You know, really after his uh, his two championships, the Lakers just sucked, and so he stopped being that character and. I think it's so so one thing that I felt towards Kobe, especially towards the end of his career, um, was that it just seemed like he wanted to keep playing very badly. He didn't want to retire. He didn't necessarily he didn't want to believe that his body wasn't what it used to be. And mm-hmm. he played for so long that I just I guess I felt a little bit I, I felt how much that how much he loved basketball and there wasn't this he wasn't ready to leave it was just that his body was and so I think that was something that I thought about um the last couple years was that it must be hard to still really really want to do this thing every day and get better at it and not be able to um yeah sorry I didn't cut you off no I was just gonna say like it wasn't a sympathy I had as much as like it's hard when everyone is talking about that you're that you're done and you Mm -hmm. and you don't you don't want that when you say it was sad watching his his desire to con- continue playing be um, canceled or, or interrupted by his his body's unwillingness to continue on. I mean, it sounds like death again. Like that to me sounds like death mm-hmm. already. Right. And so, I guess, in a way, he already was dead to me, and not in like a sort of oh, like like sort of mafia oh he's dead to me now you know he's dead to me sure uh more like uh like he died already like i I think i think throughout our lives we die a thousand deaths like we're, we're constantly in the process of dying um and for professional athletes i think that's especially the case you know these are people who reach their peak in life by their late 20s if they're lucky and then from then on it's it's it only depreciates, you know, you're, I mean, you're playing with the best people in the world at the highest level. And then you have another maybe 50 years left to live and you never get back to that peak again. I mean, I'm sure you can find different ways to do it in life, but it's not the same. It's really sure. not the same. Um, I remember I did a story in Cuba about this former uh, NFL player who got his medical degree um, in, in Havana. And he was actually, he, he won the, the Rose Bowl, I think with, um, God, what team was it? USC, maybe. And he was describing to me, like, being in a tunnel before the game, for like a championship game, like, grabbing his teammates, like, helmet, and they're just crying toward, like, just crying at each other. Just because this moment is so intense for them. And he, uh, He's like, yeah, I've never felt that way in any other way in life. Even like falling in love is not the same thing as playing at this t- particular level. And so for professional athletes, like the end of their career, to me, it, it's already death. Um, and so I guess like for Kobe to die, you know, five years after retirement, to me, that's like less tragic than dying while you're playing at your like peak, right? That would be the most tragic death. Right, and like the most honorable one towards. in a way too, like very gladiatorial. But I mean, like I, I think that when you have the dr- jo- Kobe did have an otherworldly drive. Sure, yes. Um, and I think that's part of 
his appeal to a lot of people is that um, just through sheer force, like the belief in yourself, uh, never say never sort of attitude, uh, you can accomplish anything. And again, that goes against my worldview. I, I don't like that. I think that that's actually, I think that's dangerous. And I think that it's irresponsible. And I don't think it's as beautiful as the world can be when I think when we begin to recognize how we need each other, um, that's the kind of world I want to live in. And so Kobe didn't represent that to me. Um, and I remember when I, when I was in China um, and just seeing before that Kobe's popularity in China was kind of puzzling to me in a weird way, because here you have a supposedly communist country um, I put heavy quotation marks around common. Sure, I can hear the quotation um, marks from here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kobe was uh, the most popular player in China for quite a period of time. It might be Steph Curry now, but uh, Kobe is still immensely, immensely popular in China. And I think that Kobe's popularity in China coincided with a new culture of individuality in China that didn't exist before, you know, as China has become a greater consumerist uh, state capitalist country and culture. I think the, the importance of the individual has come to the fore. And so I think because Kobe represents that uh, it appeals greatly to, to Chinese fans um, not just because of the way he played, but because of what he represented. Yeah. And I even saw that in um, when I was in India in Dharamsala, uh, coaching basketball to Tibetan monks. Uh, the only time the monks could get out of their robes was when they were playing uh, basketball. And I remember one day playing with these monks, and three of them all had kobe's jersey number 24 was purple gold and white and i thought that was so bizarre and we're asking them like why they liked kobe and did he not sort of go against a lot of buddhist philosophy and they just sort of shrugged their shoulders i don't, I don't think they really wanted to consider it um but he has this this enormous appeal um precisely because of his unceasing, unrelenting desire for more. Mm -hmm. Which I think goes kind of, I mean, like the sort of, if you, if you work hard enough, you'll, you'll get what you sort of right. deserve, um, which is like the narrative of our uh, country's history, um, which is actually exactly. means something that's being discussed so, so often right now between these, all these different presidential candidates about, um, you know, like the, what the concept of, of uh, America and what it means and how it should move yeah. forward and all this stuff. Um, can, can you guess who I support considering I, what I'm saying? <laughs> well, we both follow Bernie Sanders on Instagram and I see you come yeah, up a yeah. lot. But yeah, I mean, like, I I think that what, the, the way that you phrased it, the way that you put it together about like through Kobe's basketball, him representing this sort of way of existing that feels like you want that that feels like it goes against how you want the world to be i think that's right. like a really interesting point um that 
Yeah, I hadn't. Um, I mean, I just think that that yes, the the people that are the superstars, the people that are sort of the quote unquote heroes, even within sports, um, they they sort of shape how how we sometimes want our own lives to be and how we want to relate to other people, which I think is the the power of sports. I mean, that's where we can Mm -hmm. find each other. That's where we can decide, like, I want to be on a team. I don't want to be the superstar. You know, this is the role that I want to play. This is what I have to offer. Uh, Mm -hmm. So without that distinction, I mean, I think that that is also this this like value of having, you know, players like Kobe is that it offers up this distinction between what you know the, what the style that you like and the style that you you know your the Steve Nash versus the Kobe Bryant or the you know the Tim Duncan retirement versus the Kobe Bryant retirement and how those things kind of sit side by side and what we're more what we're more drawn to I really want to go back to the monks because I also mm-hmm. wonder if so so you had mentioned before that a frustration of yours was that you, when you played pickup basketball when you play pickup basketball you see people you play with people and against people that are that are trying to emulate Kobe in, in mm-hmm. the game. And that, or Jordan, or Jordan. Sure. <laughs> I just wonder, like, if the monks that are playing that are wearing his jersey and aren't necessarily considering his, what sort of Kobe means in this, like, bigger sort of basketball history, like, they might also not be playing against people who are doing that. So your frustration with, you know, playing basketball with people who are who are sort of trying to be like Kobe, they might not experience that same thing, do you think? Well, I'll say that monks are just like regular people mm-hmm. in that they all have their own characteristics. So I didn't see any sort of... Like the way that the monks play wasn't particularly different from the way that Americans play and that there was a diverse playing style um i do think that i do think that kobe's mentality has affected a lot of people's style of play and that they become chuckers i think it's important one statistic is important to remember about kobe bryant that while he is the third leading scorer in nba history he has he has the number one spot in the most shots missed by any player in NBA history. Sure. Yeah. That um, is, that's yeah. <laughs> I think that Kobe, I think that there's a myth around Kobe Bryant that comes in with the sort of the, that, that expression you're saying, where like Kobe clutch, like that's not real. Kobe was far from the most clutch player uh, in the NBA. Um, I think that we get so swept up in someone's belief in themselves and I, I, again, that's like a deeply American thing to me. Like we see this in our politicians as well, where if you say something with confidence, people will believe you. And I think Kobe represents that sort of um, otherworldly confidence that that is either deserved or not deserved. I mean, Kobe works really, really hard. And I don't think anyone can take that away from him. Kobe Bryant was also incredibly lucky. He grew up privileged. His father was a professional basketball player. You know, he grew up all around the world where he got to basically just focus on basketball his whole life. Um, you know, you're, he won the genetic lottery in a sense as well, where his body was like perfectly suited to play basketball. For the most part, you know, you have to be in the top like 10th percentile. Yeah 
in order to play professional basketball, no matter how hard you work. It's just not going to happen. And so I think Kobe perpetuates this myth of meritocracy. And I guess that was another thing that really bothered me about him. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting in someone's death to have these feelings about them, negative ones, and what you're supposed to do with them, you know, uh, what, what in death changes your opinion of someone? Should it change? Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, it doesn't. I mean, I didn't get, I remember when I first heard about Kobe Bryant's death, it just didn't seem real. You know, I thought it was a joke. Um, and I, even after reading it, I was in disbelief. And it's so funny because when other celebrities die, I'm just like, yeah, sure. Okay. Like they died that particular way. There was something about Kobe Bryant's death that felt particularly surreal. Did you experience something like that? Oh, totally. I mean, it was just like, how? I mean, that was the question I kept asking. How? I mean, how is not how did he die, but how is that possible? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would you feel that way about him? Oh, um, it just seemed so it just it it was just so I don't I'm just going to keep saying the same words over and over again. It just seemed like it didn't make any sense because I mean, I think, you know, athletes like we put on this platform, especially like around like their physical health and well-being that they um, and I mean, which is kind of contradictory because, of course, they're wearing out their bodies in the process um, of, of becoming these amazing athletes. But that it just he seemed it, it, to some extent that he was larger than our normal existences um so it just was it like blew my mind that i just didn't understand how that was possible right um, because right. Be, because of what he represents right i was in disbelief as well because Kobe bryant seemed to be the kind of person who had some sort of control over his own fate yes you know? that, what, that was yes. the mythos behind him and so for him to die in a way that he didn't construct himself just seemed out of character it didn't fit the script you know Definitely. like that's not the way if you're writing a movie about kobe bryant that's not the way kobe bryant is supposed to go right exactly it just doesn't make it makes no sense and i mean i still think i still feel a little bit that way that it's just like it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't add up and i mean it, i think that that's um what i come back to over and over again as far as like having um sort of I guess just like understanding the things that he did that I don't feel good about and also acknowledging that I I'm it makes me sad that he died. I just I keep going back to the people like the families that are a part of this that are like still like right now it's sort of people are still of course talking about this and it still is a it's still a part of the conversation like this this helicopter crash and all these deaths but it just um like people, I mean, this is just like the beginning of like a ter terrible situation for people who lost their parents, a, a really sad situation. Um, right. So I think that that sometimes like what I keep coming back to when I'm sort of reconciling how I feel about some of the ways he was or what he did. I just I keep feeling just really awful for the families involved. And I know like we can unpack that a little bit more about sort of 
our perspectives on on losing people and death and all of that but it's just like that seems like this really important part of the narrative that like kobe's like going rehashing kobe's career and all that like totally just uh eats that up if that Mm -hmm. makes sense you know it's like um yeah it's just i was just talking with a friend yesterday about how yeah, it's just crazy that this happened and like it, it really is about Kobe because of his his fame. I don't know if that answers any of the questions or things that you were saying or asking. <laughs> it's just a thought that I had about sort of how this whole thing has sort of unraveled or played out. Well, I, I do think about the other families who's who died whose names I do not know. Sure, exactly. Like, I, yeah. I can't I, I cannot name them. Um and so in a way obviously Kobe's death overshadows theirs, but at the same time, they get more attention because they died as a famous person than they would otherwise. If it was just some like random helicopter crash, yeah. then I wouldn't have even known about it. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I obviously, you know, if I take the time to put myself in those, the shoes of those families it's yeah it's it's awful it's awful it's it's super tragic yes i i guess you know we 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 we, people dying in a helicopter crash is uh to get from like one practice to another is just kind of like a bizarre way to die i mean it's not particularly glorious uh i think it it illustrates a sort of gap in you know a normal sort of experience yeah i mean i think it's i so it's just also like this differentiating for me between like being sad for the people who died and being really just like totally devastated for the people who like are still around who lost these people um but yes i mean i do i do totally see your point um especially when we see a lot of other people dying all the time like we were talking about photojournalism like we're constantly confronted with like pictures of death from from issues that could have been solved long ago if we had gone about a different way of of thinking about people from different countries and ourselves and what we have to offer and all of this stuff. Um, and I think for me, like it, it just, uh, it, I think that there was so I saw so many people crying about this that I I had never seen show almost any emotion before. Um, when mm-hmm. We talk about coaches, we talk about players, um, people in the media and stuff like that. I think that's what had this huge impact on me was not necessarily the uh, the event, of course, had an impact, but also just watching people handle it publicly was not something that I was used to. And, and I, I felt very sort of um, impacted by that. Mm-hmm. And that that is what made me sad. I mean, that is why I was having... Uh, such a strong reaction to the memorial and I mean I just I think that that kind of public display of of sadness is not super common um or it's not yeah I'm just not seeing it as much as I'm seeing the horrible devastating thing all the time I'm not always seeing people responding to it so that was a big part of this whole situation was watching people try and handle themselves or not handle themselves and and sort of like lose composure in front of a million microphones Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think I think uh, seeing vulnerability, especially amongst huge muscular men, uh, is 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 has its own appeal. Um, I did not shed a single tear. I don't think I ever got emotional 
I think that I, I felt very detached from it because the same way I feel it's detached from nearly all celebrity deaths. Um, I don't, they don't reach me in the same way that um, something reaches me. Like, uh, I don't know. I was even watching that John Oliver piece from this, this weekend where he's talking about Medicare for all. And in it, he's talking about a failed GoFundMe um, for a two, a two year old who has some degenerative eye disease. And I'm just trying to keep my shit together because the idea that this family can't afford a bill to give their daughter eyesight, that's not even death. I mean, this is just eyesight. It just seems in there's a, there's, there's a sort of injustice to it that really upsets me and would fight against this. Um, and again, this is like some sort of moral relativism thing that I, I don't want to, I, I don't think is fair. I think that it's perfectly legitimate to be affected by any tragic event and it, it shouldn't be dismissed because something is worse somewhere else. You know, something is always worse somewhere else. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right that it is a, it is a good thing that we can all feel and that we can to have this collective moment of sadness, um, I think it's significant. You know, I, I hate that. Like, I feel like a lot of hippies have really ruined a notion of like energy and vibes for me. I, I can't say that without feeling silly, but I do think that like a collective moment of millions of people being sad at the same time has some sort of reverberations on the world itself. I'm so glad you said that because I really felt, I felt that. I mean, I think I'm not the most tapped in spiritual Marianne Williamson type myself. <laughs> um, we're just, you know, that's, name, that's, name that's dropping. That's the candidate I support, by the way. <laughs> right. That's oh, my no. I completely misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I, so, but I felt there, it felt, I felt it. I felt his death. I mean, I think because other people mm -hmm. were feeling it too. And that, right. that was That's this, real. That's yes, real. that was this affirmation of like, what mm -hmm. if we, like, what other collective feelings can we have that we can sort who of, else, who else has to die? <laughs> who else has to die or who, who else, else like, to what else has to, to happen? What crazy yeah, event? Yeah. What, I mean, just what thing do we, um, do, I mean, I, I was, I'm just thinking about like this other moment where after Trump was elected the night, the day after he was elected, when I woke up, I just was expecting to walk outside and everything was going to feel completely different. Like it, I just, sure. I mean, I felt different and I felt really upset, but I, but when I walked outside, I was like, how is everything just, how are the streetlights still working? How, how are these buildings how, still standing? Like I didn't. How is uh, photosynthesis still happening? Right. Like the sun right. is out. Look, what's going on here? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think that I, I, so, so that collective, like, ah, uh, you know, like, and, and especially in this case, like I didn't feel that then, even though I knew all of these other people were feeling that I didn't feel that as much. Cause it just seemed like. But but this I just I felt that and I think that there was there is some serious power there and I think it's important to to recognize that and the other thing is that for some of the things that I've had a very strong reaction to and I have cried sometimes I can tell like okay this was constructed for me to cry this was constructed for me to have this very sort of strong reaction to and I mean I definitely think that that is what was happening during the memorial for him um, before the 
the first Lakers game. Um, but there were some things that were coming up that I just felt people were being so raw. I mean, they just were totally uncomposed that I just, that is when I was really losing it. Cause I was like, no one is, they're totally caught off guard. And just seeing those things happen in real time is wild. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've cried for the constructed thing that I'm supposed to cry for quote unquote. I'm now got my own quotes going on. And then I've also cried for the, just like the absolute, like un unrehearsed, just human reaction that is uh, yeah, yeah yeah that i do like that part but i get again i sometimes i just feel so cynical like um yes. even lebron's <laughs> even lebron's speech um at that game that, mm-hmm. that blazers game where he's like i have a i have a written speech but you know fuck it i'm gonna just go straight from the heart i was like yeah you definitely practiced that that wasn't like uh sure i mean there's some rehearsing the going straight from the heart yes yeah yeah so i see with celebrities just brands i i I see i don't see them as as people in a lot of ways which it can be bad i don't want to come across that way in particular but even that taylor swift documentary that came out recently like i don't believe she has free will i think that she is a a vessel for a bunch of marketing uh, marketers making decisions for her brand um and i guess kobe is an individual and i I do think it's important that we bring this up um what kobe's death proved to me is the importance of of atonement you need to deal with the things that you've done the bad things that you've done in your life before you leave this particular world because that's the sticky stuff that keeps you from you believe in heaven or reincarnation or whatever, that's the sticky stuff that keeps you from actually moving on to a better place. And I think that what Kobe did, I think it was in like 2004, right? Something like that. He raped someone and he suffered no consequences from it. That he suffered no real consequences and that he actually, it, it, it created a whole brand for him. The whole Mamba mentality thing. The, his last words as an NBA player, Mamba out. The whole Mamba thing came during his trial. He said he created this alter ego to separate the Kobe that was a rapist from the Kobe that was a basketball player. And now he, there are shoes named after that. I mean, now it's his whole that's his whole shtick and that he did not properly atone for this. And in that Jamel Hill piece in the Atlantic where in 2014 with Trayvon Martin's death, he's still, he still believes that he was a victim of a false accusation. So these are the kinds of things that I took away from his death. And it, 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 I, in a way like that's, it's dark. You know, I wish I could tap into the, you know, the sort of communal sadness that someone's death brings. But instead, I moved towards this sort of it's the real tragedy is that he never got you know, that he never truly apologized. Yes, I see. So I I have a lot of thoughts and reactions to what you're saying and one of them is that i think it's really important for people to take responsibility for the things and i that they do that are wrong that we can agree on as a society are wrong um and the apologies that are 
uh, honest in how much responsibility they are taking. And I, and I know that his apology was not that. Um, I think it comes back to this. For me, it comes back to just me not knowing whether he, like, I, I just don't, and basically, like, my distance from him as a, as a non-part of his life, like, I don't know if he ever actually really apologized to this woman at another time or what I, so basically what I'm saying is like, I think that the, the judgment for, for what he did or didn't do can come from us. But I also think that like, that is, that is in like the eye of his victim. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just sort of how I, I feel about that. Is that's, that's a good point. Like, what right do I have to be upset on behalf of someone else? But like, we need to be upset because we're on a experience. team. Like, that's what the ideal. That's what we're working towards. Like, we need to watch out right. for each other, which I think is the, uh, right. the other point you made that's really important. So I, I, I want that um, sort of... Uh, I want to to make sure that I'm standing up for people that that are that need standing up for and that advocating for like um, justice uh, for victims. I also mm-hmm. just like so I don't I don't know what ever if they ever spoke. I just don't. I yeah. I just I guess it's my lack of knowledge that keeps me from from sort of rendering this this judgment on on what he might be experiencing. So there's this other part that where we might not see eye to eye on this, because I I agree that when he retired and went into this other sort of the second part of his career with um, working with his daughter's team and, um, you know, doing a lot of like coaching and his detail thing and then dear basketball and all of that, like it it of course felt really like coordinated and sort of strategically planned to me that that wasn't like he, he, woke up one day and was like, you know, I think I want to do that. I mean, just it felt very much that this was part of his narrative. Um, that being said, I, I still think that just like I appreciate Tim Duncan sitting on the bench uh, on the, the Spurs games, that he's now an assistant coach. Um, and I appreciate um, seeing Dr. J sitting courtside at the dunk contest. Like, I appreciate people continuing to be a part of basketball even after they've retired. I, I like that. And I like that that I liked that Kobe was still doing stuff with basketball and and being a part of this stuff. I don't think that clears him from other things that he did. I just felt that he was going to continue to contribute, and I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I, I know I would have liked to have seen what else Kobe was going to do. Because um, like I said, I do miss him as a villain. And no one else, the, the closest corollary to Kobe Bryant's got to be like, Russell Westbrook or James Harden, uh, you know, the Joel Embiid, maybe no, nobody compares to the kind of response that Kobe would give you. You know, there is something very powerful about him. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, it was like, uh, he died twice to me. Yeah. I think that, and, and I mean, I have to say that it like, I mean, relatively speaking, again, that like watching him, his body, like not be able to to do it anymore. Like that was a sad thing to watch. Like as far as like, you know, if we're considering that a death, like we were watching him like die a little bit. And that was that was um, sad. I remember just my I was talking to my sister. This was like right before he announced that he was retiring. And she was just saying, um, 
what if you knew exactly what you wanted to do every day and everyone was saying it was time for you to stop and that you shouldn't be doing it anymore? Or that was the that was like the main narrative. Um, and that you also knew that you couldn't do it anymore, but you were having a hard time <laughs> dealing with that. Like, I just, that made me feel a little bit for him, for his, uh, his investment in his basketball career was serious. And to just not have that be something any in his life anymore, that's, that's a hard thing to sort of figure out. No, absolutely. I don't, I don't envy professional athletes. No, um... Yeah, I, I as much as I once wanted to be a teammate of Michael Jordan's, I am glad I've <laughs> taken a different path. I mean, it never would have worked out age-wise, but... Um, Which position would you have played? Well, I think I would have been point guard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just based on Deeper. my Bloomberg-esque height, I think that's where I, <laughs> where I would have been um, in comparison to LeBron's speech at the Blazers game. Um there, I'm not sure if you saw this video, but there's this video of him getting off the plane in L.A. They found the Lakers team found out that they were that Kobe had died like in the air and mm-hmm. he's arriving at the airport. And it's just this really long video of him walking. I mean, he's taken from really far away. You, you can't tell it's LeBron, but that's what se- that's what the video says. It's LeBron. And he's just walking and for a really long time. And then all of a sudden there's like someone there who just hugs him. And it's this really long hug. And I don't know who that other person is, but that was so, I mean, that is like the opposite of the speech, the opposite of throwing the speech on the ground and being like, this isn't, you know, this is coming from the heart. It's like what was coming from the heart was that sort of that walk from the plane, that really like isolating feeling or whatever, you know, he had just passed Kobe, like, you know, him, like whatever had happened right before Kobe died, like that felt so, again, it's just this raw thing that like isn't meant to be shown, but because of the the world we live in, like we're seeing all of this shit. Mm-hmm. So that, that was really powerful to me as far as like, that was up there with the most sort of somber sort of devastating reactions that I saw, even though it was like, I couldn't see his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the, the John Lennon death and sort of springing that on Paul McCartney. Yeah. Like, imagine finding out like, I'm not going to say they were best friends because they were kind of frenemies, right? Right. But imagine, like, imagine that the yin to your yang, you find out he dies through the tabloids. That's sad. Yeah. That's not, that's not the way you want to hear about that kind of stuff. Totally. And I think that really goes back to just the space that's left um, by someone who had the sort of cultural um, force that Kobe Bryant had. So it's like, and LeBron feels that, that space, that emptiness even more than your average Kobe fan. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, he was, that, that was the, that was, that was, that was LeBron's antagonist. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Kobe, Kobe, it's funny the way that these great players don't perfectly line up with each other. You know, MJ, Kobe, LeBron, they they never aligned in their primes against each other. Right. Yeah, it's kind of passing the torch. Definitely, and I also just think that, I mean, hearing in the past couple of weeks that, like, Kobe and LeBron were not best friends, but they were, like, a part of each other's worlds in this very sort of serious way, you know, that that 
LeBron, when, yeah, I mean, just like the passing of the torch and just like the presence of each other. And -hmm. I think that that's what has been sort of um, taken, that's been what has been taken away is this this sort of presence in the the whole narrative of the NBA. And I mean, like the villain, you know, I mean, he wasn't always the villain and then he was the villain. And just like the person that you root against, the person that you root for, like people lost both of those things. Uh, when he retired and and now it just uh, it just for me it's like it's too it's too shocking it's too soon it's too violent it's too it's just an upsetting event uh, that that I know a lot of people are are suffering because of I I mean I know that like 20 people are really 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 suffering because of this um, and then you know from there it like blooms outwards as to like different sort of layers of of who feels this mm-hmm. yeah Well, that sounds like a pretty good note to leave on. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts. And I think that it's actually really interesting that, you know, to have sort of um, that we don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything. I think that makes for a more interesting conversation. So I, I just appreciate that. Always a pleasure. Great. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.